Hey, listeners, welcome to a special episode of the HVMN podcast. This is Jeff Wu. In this conversation, Brianna and I answer the most frequently asked questions from our community about HVMN ketone, our ketone ester drink. The whole exogenous ketone product space is new, and this is a great opportunity for us to clear a few misconceptions, talk data and science, and explore potential applications about the ketone ester technology. For example, you might have seen press articles with the headlines, ketone esters melting fat off your body. Our regular listeners know how HVM and ketone can play a role in weight management, and Brianna and I directly address that topic with evidence-based answers. We also talk about many other FAQs. This is the one to listen to if you really want to get to the bottom of the whole ketone ester story. You'll want to tune into the whole episode, not only for more information about ketones, but also we have a special HVMN ketone deal for our podcast listeners by going to hvmn.com forward slash pod POD. I'm giving a $50 coupon off of a 12 pack of HVMN ketone. More details are within the episode, so sit back and enjoy. Bree, it's always really fun to have the magic team here, you and I on the podcast. Dream team. Dream team. <laughs> so we thought it would be helpful to just have this episode to answer your frequently asked questions, FAQs, knock it out, and we'll have this resource for everyone on the line. And of course, if there's new frequently asked questions, we'll do another episode. So I'll just kick it off and I'll ask the first FAQ question here. Start from the top. What is HVMN ketone and what is it meant to be used for? To start off, HVMN ketone contains 25 grams of ketone ester. So one part of that ketone ester is beta-hydroxybutyrate, and it's the D-isoform. So that means it's exactly the same as beta-hydroxybutyrate, which your body would naturally make. And it's bound to a ketone precursor called 1,3-butanediol. And so when you consume that, your body can break apart the ester bond because we eat esters in our food the whole time. And then the two parts can be absorbed into the blood. The beta-hydroxybutyrate is ready to go straight into the bloodstream through the liver. And the butane diol part gets processed a little bit by the liver, really quickly processed, and it forms D-beta-hydroxybutyrate as well. So when you drink human ketone, you end up with two parts of D-beta-hydroxybutyrate for each one part of ketone ester that you're eating. So really, like on the highest level, we see it providing ketones as a fuel for the body to use. And kind of a lot of the research up until now is focused on how extra fueling with ketones can affect metabolism during sport and exercise. So right now, we're really focused focused in on how athletes can use ketones to help them improve their endurance and improve their recovery. Yeah. And the super one sentence answer that I would answer that FAQ with is that this is a sports slash energy drink that doesn't have any sugar, doesn't have any caffeine, but it improves your performance. And it does so by fueling with ketones. Jeff's going to have to give the one sentence summary for all of my answers. No, no, no. But I think it is helpful to get that full depth of what kind of work and technology is behind our products. I think a lot of sports drinks that you see out in the market are often just carbohydrate or really sugar drinks or a remix of some amino acids, a little bit of fat, a lot of sugar, maybe some caffeine or not caffeine. What we have with HVM and ketone is just really a paradigm shift in having a fourth macronutrient in there that's very, very separate from anything else that exists on the market. So... It is helpful to add that color of what it actually is before just saying, hey, this is a sports or energy drink for better athletic performance. So next up, a uh, question for you, Jeff. Can non-athletes use the product? I want to use it for fasting. So if so, like, is that beneficial? How do I use it for that? Good question. So you're right. A lot of our marketing language is focused on athletic use cases, but I wouldn't necessarily consider myself an elite athlete. I work out often, but I'm not an elite athlete or professional athlete. 
And I like using HPM ketone a lot. And I think that's applicable to almost everyone that wants better performance throughout their day. So if you're a human being that wants to get a little bit more out of the day, I think HPM ketone has a role in your nutritional toolkit, if you will. So the way I would use it is sometimes as a pre-workout feel for some workouts or in lieu of caffeine or in addition to caffeine, have it just as a really nice cognitive boost to start the day or right before an important meeting, I'll have HVM and ketone and get let that little bit of a subjective cognitive boost. And I know that you're working on a bit of research that approved that out, different research collaborators we can maybe talk about later in this podcast. And then one of my actually the third favorite use case here, if it's one for my workouts, two for cognitive performance, it's actually really helpful for me when I'm starting a fast, a longer fast, or shifting back into a ketogenic diet. And the reason why it's helpful is, one, you publish a nice paper showing that it reduces ghrelin to appetite hormone, so it's a very nice controlled appetite. But secondarily, it's non-insulinogenic, doesn't require insulin to go into your cells, which means that the reason why you fast or you go on a ketogenic diet is reduce carb load. And the pain there is that your body isn't necessarily used to fueling off of ketones or fat just quite yet. So you have an energy deficit in your brain and your body, you feel a bit sluggish, you feel hangry. Ketone ester is a really good bridge to give you that quick boost of energy that's non-carbohydrate, doesn't trigger insulin, gets into your brain, and you don't really feel hungry. So when I'm shifting the ketogenic diet or when I start a longer fast, Really, really awesome way to just smoothly get into that ketogenic state. Great answer. How about you? Do you use it for non-athletic use cases? I mean, similar to you, I would sip it. I mean, as, as you said at the very outset, we're still not at the stage where I'm completely swapping out my sparkling water for ketone ester. But on the times when I've got to like focus for a long time and get things done, it's a really great alternative to like the third cup of coffee or some kind of like sugary pick-me-up. It is kind of cool that it's fueling and revitalizing your body in a way that's just really completely different to caffeine or sugar or like a bunch of other products that you can get out there. Yeah. So hopefully longer term, we prove out and more and more use cases where this could be thought of as a fourth macronutrient that we talk about as opposed to just a sports performance product. And obviously that's going to take quite a bit of work from both of us and the broader team and Oxford and all the other research partners. And But we certainly, I'm I'm really, really proud of in the the way that we speak about it in the company and that we really focus on the evidence that's already out there and published in peer research. And we work really hard to find the right partners to, and facilitate the other research to be done before we sort of get too far ahead of ourselves with talking about how to use it. Absolutely. The next FAQ, what's the difference between our ketone ester and other ketone compounds like ketone salts or MCT oils. What makes our ester so special? I love this question. I actually spent a good part of my PhD thesis like looking at the difference between different ketone supplements. And so given all types of supplements to lots of different people and studied the results. So first up, let's compare with MCTs. So MCT stands for medium chain triglyceride. And so it's specifically referring to the carbon chain length of a fat molecule. So when you eat a medium chain triglyceride, it's very rapidly processed by the body, a little bit differently to typical longer chain 
chain fats. And because it's rapidly processed and you kind of like dump this big fat load in on the liver, the body naturally will convert some of that fat load into ketones. But it's kind of an inefficient conversion. So not all of the MCT that you eat gets converted into ketones. Typically, after people have MCTs, they get a small increase in ketones anywhere up to between 0.3 and 0.5 millimolar of beta-hydroxybutyrate. It's quite low. Yeah, I believe Richard Veach from the NIH mentioned around 10% of MCTs convert into ketones. Yeah, I don't know whether anyone's ever like done that research study. You'd have to kind of like label it up and it'd be kind of... Yeah. But that said, you can't force your ketone levels higher by taking more because if you take too much MCT, it can cause kind of explosive GI issues. And we actually tested this quite a bit in the office and we've had a few people having to run to the toilet every half an hour or so. And um, GI is gastrointestinal issues yeah, for folks so, who don't know the lingo. Yeah, and when I say explosive, that'll probably give you a bit of a clue as to, <laughs> as to what happens. So um, there's definitely like limitations to using MCTs, but you can go and purchase them from a health food store. It's kind of easy to find them yeah. and kind of cheap. So it's sort of like, and a lot of people use them as a complement to their ketogenic diet. They dress their salads in them. They put them in coffee and things yeah, like no, that. Yeah, so. no, just jump in a little bit on MCTs. I use it every now and then, especially when I'm on a ketogenic diet, when I cycle into it. And I'd say I'm, it's relatively palatable for me, but... I've been in the case where get a little bit aggressive, a little yeah. bit extra too yeah. many squirts of MCT oil in the coffee or in my food. And it's like, mm. I feel like it's probably worse <laughs> if you have it like just neat or if you have it in a in a liquid form. I feel like maybe if you have it with yeah, some it's more fiber food. on a food, then, yeah. but then you may not get so much of a ketogenic effect. Maybe, maybe. Right. I mean, it might affect, it'd probably affect like absorption time and other, yeah. you know, the general like state of the liver. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it's unclear to me whether giving it with food would be yeah. quite as effectively ketogenic. Maybe, maybe not. Yes, yeah, so I think the underlying point for me here is that the MCT oil is reasonable as a ketogenic precursor, but not really impactful in terms of just sustaining and elevating ketones to a very significant yeah. level. I mean, we see um, they're used quite widely in clinical studies and the reported levels are typically, you know, 0.3, 0 0.4. So it's fairly mild ketosis and you could achieve that through the diet probably fairly easily or, or with some fasting again fairly easily. So it's a top up and it, you know, the biology is there, but it is not really kind of supercharged. So next up we'll talk about ketone salts. Um, these have kind of like really exploded in popularity recently because they're kind of quite easy to make. What they are is you have ketone, beta-hydroxybutyrate typically, bound with a mineral ion. So again, typically that's sodium or potassium or calcium. So if you think of uh, when you go to a restaurant, there's a salt shaker on the table. It's like really not too dissimilar from that. Table salt is called so is sodium chloride. And what you get in a ketone salt package is like sodium or potassium ketone. And actually, it's kind of a, a nice mental picture. You would never really like open up that salt shaker, pop it in a glass of water and then like drink that whole thing. Like because that and that's kind of what you're doing with ketone salts. Whenever you drink ketone salts, you have to consume quite a lot of these mineral ions along with the ketones. So um, whilst people who are on a ketogenic diet do tend to have a bit of a higher mineral intake, if you're going to be using these regularly, the general consensus is that this might be an overly high level of salt consumption and therefore pose a bit of a risk in terms of blood pressure or kidney function. So there's debate in the literature about how much salt is the right amount of salt, but I think broadly speaking to use ketone salts regularly could pose a health risk. 
There's a number of other like small issues. I mean, firstly, and probably should have said this at the very top, is that a typical blood ketone increase where the ketone salt is around about one millimolar. That seems to be the typical on the higher end. On the, on the higher end, yeah. anywhere between 0.6 to one. I mean, one paper from Brendan Egan's group over in Ireland only found like a 0.4 increase in blood ketone. So it might change a little bit product to product and how much you have. But again, similar to MCTs, the bump in ketones that you get with ketone salts is a little bit underwhelming. And part of that is because that most ketone salts that you get out there on the market are mixtures of two types of beta hydroxybutyrate. So in nature, there is what's called D-beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is the same as our body makes. And there is one that's called L-beta-hydroxybutyrate. And I like to describe it as left and right-handed forms of the molecule. They're kind of identical um, in terms of structure, but they don't overlay on one another. And that affects how the body can use them for energy. So when you take ketone salt, you're getting a mixture of these two forms and your body can't use half of it. And also your typical blood ketone reader can't detect the L half of it that your body can't use. So you're consuming this extra ketones that's not quite so useful for the body. And that stays elevated for quite a long period of time after you drink it. So not only are you getting lower levels of ketones, you're consuming this non-physiologic isoform, you're getting quite a high mineral load. And a sort of another little subsidiary consequence of the mineral load is also at risk of gastrointestinal distress, a little similar to MCT. So again, we've had that here um, testing out in the office and it's a little bit hit and miss. And, you know, personally, I've used salts a few times and sometimes I'll react to it and other times not. And especially as an athlete, you don't really want to be worried about whether or not you're going to have to be, you know, pooping your pants. Yeah. But I would say on the plus side, does ketone salts and MCT oil are much more affordable than ketone ester right now? That's something that we're working really, really hard on. And my personal experience with ketone salts, that's some color. I'd say it's similar to your experience on and off. Sometimes I have a pretty seamless experience, sometimes a little bit of GI issues. The taste, I would say, is smoother than HVM and ketone, but you have to consume quite a bit of liquid because you're diluting 12 grams of salt or 25 grams of salt. And I think of that as really like a big pack of powder. So you can't really just shoot it like you could shoot HVM and ketone. So typically you can flavor it a little bit and it kind of tastes like salty lemonade, but with like a lot of salt and a little bit of a weird salt aftertaste with it. So platability, not as like a big bitter punch as a ketone ester, but kind of a weird lingering salty kind of a feel to it. They've both, they both got their pros and cons in terms yeah. of drinking it. Neither of them are like super nice to drink. But I've got to say that I guess the feedback from people using ketone salts in the broader market like is encouraging that like we're in the right space. Like if people can get good results and come back and buy more and more and more of these products, then I think that they'll be really impressed when they use the ketone ester and it kind of like proves out that we're kind of on the right path. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I think we're, I would say, fairly agnostic and just fairly data science-driven folks here. So I think we try to look at the data, look at the subjective experience that we have, obviously benchmark that towards folks that are doing this in-field testing, both from professional athletes or consumers, all the published peer-reviewed research. And I think there's potentially a role for all of these compounds, MCT oil, ketone salts, the variants of ketone salts, ketone esters, 
I think you actually just hit on a really important point that I didn't cover and really gets back to the core of what you're saying is that there is just the most evidence around the ketone ester in terms of efficacy and benefits right now. There's a number of positive results come out from Oxford, but also other labs have found that the ketone can help with endurance and can help with really profoundly shift metabolism. And there just isn't the data there yet for ketone salts. So, I mean, watch this space and hopefully because they're so broadly available, more studies will be done and give us a little more of a definitive yeah, it's answer. It's a more fuller picture. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the studies that have been done on ketone salts have been pretty objectively underwhelming in the sense of null or, or negative effects. But that's not to say that there aren't applications that ketone salts could be useful for. Yeah. I mean, I think we've seen pretty reasonable data on both the ester and salts lowering blood sugar. Yeah. So again, I think there potentially could be applications for salts, MCTs, that will be more fleshed out as more research is done. But I think we're really proud of standing on shoulders of giants from Kieran Clark at Oxford, Richard Veach at NIH, who've invented the ketone ester and we're taking it and, and bringing it to the world here. We haven't really covered this yet, but it leads on kind of nicely. Why is it so expensive? One way to think about it is to think about in terms of where it came from. So back in the early 2000s, there was a DARPA program called Metabolic Dominance. And Dr. Joe Belitsky, who is the program manager in DARPA, who was actually on podcast, well, we'll link that podcast. I think that was an interesting conversation, wanted to essentially make U.S. warfighters the most metabolically efficient on the battlefield. Think multi-day, physically and cognitively demanding missions. And one of the research areas that he put $10 million behind was exogenous ketones, specifically ketone esters. And that program was led by Professor Karen Clark at Oxford, where you did your PhD work at, and and Richard Veach at the NIH. And they're really two giants of the field in ketone metabolism. I mean, some of their works published in like the early 90s around some of the key facts on ketones being more efficient than glucose per unit oxygen came out of that's really widely cited on why ketones are a super film were were written by these two academics and and now are close collaborators as we're bringing HVM and ketone to the market. So during that program, equivalent dose of ketone ester that you now can get for around $30 would have been thousands and thousands of dollars. Just traditional synthesis techniques would have been $1,000 a gram. So think $25,000 per drink of ketone ester. So in that lens, we've brought down the cost of manufacturing down two orders of magnitude. And a little bit behind the curtain on how that was done was that in a traditional synthesis technique, you would really be purifying petroleum or crude oil. And that's like a typical method to find right carbon length molecules. And then you build on top of that. But with the current process for HVM and ketone today, we use genetically engineered E. coli to ferment sugar. So you get sugar, you get some fancy E. coli, you get the precursors of ketone ester pumped out, and then you glue them together through another bacterial process, and boom, you have ketone esters. So a lot more natural, I would say a lot more biological or cleaner method of production, and that obviously has been a lot more efficient, that allows us to bring down the cost of goods. And in the future, we want to bring it down even further. This was literally the first time metric ton production of ketone esters ever done. I know that when you were doing your PhD work, it was 
by like, the liter. By the liter or in a bucket. E- in, in buckets. And you had like 200 milliliters was like all you could have for, you know, experiments. And now we have you know, thousands of liters of this in production. So as we continue to scale volume, we expect that cost curve to go down. So the theoretical yield is because inputs are sugar, can we get closer to the cost of sugar? And that's our goal. I have a great story from before I did my PhD. It was like one of the earliest times that I was working on the ketone ester and I was doing like a kind of a kinetic study. So watching ketones go up and down in the blood. And I was by myself in the research office and I was sur- using a syringe to measure out volume of ketone ester. And it was from a little jar, a little bit like the same kind of size that our nootropics are in. So a small little jar of ketone ester. And I knocked over this jar that was like three quarters full of ketone ester and I spilt it all down myself I was covered in this like (laughs) smelly like horrible like slightly viscous like undiluted unflavored ketone ester and then I didn't want to tell my boss at the time that I'd spilt because I didn't know how much money's worth of ester I'd spilt so I went back to the cupboard and I took a little bit off the top of all of the other jars that were in there so that it didn't look like I'd just like bind a jar down myself. <laughs> but I mean, I think it's okay to come clean now. We have, we have enough of it now. <laughs> we have enough of it now. So it's somewhat expensive today, but we think it's worth it. People are breaking, again, their personal records, using it for all sorts of applications. And hopefully we get that price down even further and pass those savings along to you guys. Well, the way that I like to look at it is like, you know, I compete in Ironman triathlons, long course triathlon. Typically, I'm going to be spending like several hundred dollars on entry fee, going to be spending money every week to go swimming, perhaps spending money on a coach or on special nutrition, like to do my training, spending money on flights to get to the events uh, and on any like build up events. So really, by the time that you get to that start line, you're probably committed like, you know, probably around a thousand dollars maybe more for some people i mean if you buy a bike that's thousands of dollars on top of that so really you've already made like a really big investment in your performance not only in money but also in time and so really for that day then it's kind of like really really worth it to use it on those you know use it a couple times in training and then use it on those really big days and for me you know i've used it when i'm racing and i wouldn't race without it let's just say it's always part of my ritual when i do those big important races now and i think it's worth it I think that's a good way to think about it, just in terms of time and money invested over the training block for a big event. And it's like, okay, if you really want to optimize for your performance that day, it seems like a no-brainer to me as well. Yeah. The recent event I did was the SF Half Marathon, and I was ketoned up. Absolutely. Let's move on to the next question. Can it work for weight loss? Can it work for weight management and body composition? To give context to that, I think initially when we launched the product, we got a lot of comparisons to... Kim Kardashian's ketogenic diet. Is this going to melt fat off your body? Can you elucidate that and unpack that question? At the end of the day, no one's ever done a formal weight loss study with it. So I'm really, really interested to see that be done because you mentioned earlier, we have seen that taking ketones, ketone ester drinks can uh, decrease hunger and also the hunger hormone ghrelin. So there's something there that suggests that maybe there'll be an effect on body composition. And certainly when people follow the ketogenic diet, they tend to see like maintenance of lean mass and loss of fat mass. Um, And part of that could be because the ketones themselves help you to hold on to muscle while at the same time you're using fat. 
But that said, I think that the headline here is that drinking ketones does not equate to naturally producing ketones from fat. So if you're on the ketogenic diet, you get to a point where you're releasing a lot of fat from your fat tissue, belly fat, and then that's being converted into ketones by the liver. So if you have ketones in your blood, if you're in a state of ketosis, that is because you've been ketogenic, so generated ketones from your fat. So the ketogenic diet does melt fat off you. But if you drink human ketone or any exogenous ketone product, then you put ketones in your blood that have not come from your fat. So it's not directly fat melting in the same way that being on the ketogenic diet and being in a state of ketogenic ketosis is. And actually, it may even sort of for a short time stall fat burning because ketones naturally inhibit fat release from fat tissue. So just like any other source of calories, exactly, right? Like carbohydrate that spikes insulin and that re- decreases fat release. Same so with protein. Yeah. All of these things sort of put a handbrake on your body's natural kind of fat burning. So it's definitely not weight loss in a bottle, but there may well be an application to help people maintain a calorie deficit as part of either a ketogenic or a non-ketogenic diet. Right. I think one of the key things there is to be consuming fewer calories and whatever diet it is for you that helps you do that and any supplements that help you do that, then that's great. I think that's a good way to put it. I think of the ketogenic diet as a reasonable weight management, weight loss strategy for people. But I think there's also an important component of calories in, calories out. And our ketone acid drink has calories. I mean, this is an energy substrate. This is something that gives your body energy. So if you're just maintaining the same amount of calories of a standard diet of a bunch of pizza, donuts, whatever, and you just throw ketone esters on top, probably, I mean, you're, you're not going to lose weight. Because if you're already gaining weight, you're over caloric and you're adding more calories, it's this is not like a magic calorie destroyer thing. I mean, that's just thermodynamics. But the possible mechanism is that because ketone esters are very satiating and reduce ghrelin, perhaps you can actually reduce your appetite, reduce overall caloric load. Just make it easier to stick to right. the diet. And right. then you could probably therefore reduce calories from processed foods or foods that are obesogenic. And from that mechanism, potentially lead to weight management, weight loss. Seems like a good trade, right? Like trade out a couple of hundred calories from sugar for a couple of hundred calories from ketones. Yeah. This ain't some magic drink that's going to melt fat off your body. But with the right expectation and understanding and the use cases, there might be some application there. Hey listeners, Dr. Brianna Stubbs jumping in here. You may remember Jeff hinting at a special HVMN ketone deal in the intro. Well, it's time to listen up. Until the end of the month, we are offering $50 off a 12-pack of HVMN ketone. All you have to do is type in the URL www.hvmn.com forward slash pod and you're eligible for that offer. Again, that is www.hvmn.com forward slash pod. The link will also be in the show notes. This offer is running until the end of November 2018, everyone. So act fast and fuel up. So next question, why is HVMN ketone good for recovery after exercise? You're the physiologist here, but I can answer that question too. Folks from Oxford and the collaborators there looked at ketone esters with 
protein with carbohydrate drinks after workouts and comparing that to placebo drinks. And a couple of the key results there were improved muscle resynthesis rates and improved glycogen resynthesis rates. So muscle protein resynthesis, obviously when you're doing a lot of workouts, you're breaking down muscle tissue. If you can repair muscle faster, that's obviously good for recovery. I would say to underline the glycogen resynthesis point, a little bit of a mixed result. I'll let you dive into the nuances there, but there is some signal that the human body will regenerate and replenish glycogen faster. And again, glycogen is the storage form of glucose. You don't store blood sugar floating around ambiently. Having too much blood sugar is bad for you, very inflammatory. Our body stores that in the form of glycogen, mainly primarily in your liver, but also in muscle tissue. Ketone esters have some evidence showing that it helps that process of creating that glycogen. I would say some other interesting effects of Exercise recovery is the anti-inflammatory properties of ketone esters. Of course, after exercise, there's going to be some damage, some wear and tear, some inflammation, and ketones have been shown broadly to be quite powerful anti-inflammatory. I'll toss the ball over to you. I think you covered most of it. I think it's through effects on muscle protein. So we haven't actually measured, in order to measure muscle protein resynthesis, you'd need to do a fancy isotope tracer study. But what was done in this study was they took a little muscle biopsy and they looked for activity enzymes that are involved with muscle protein synthesis. It's like, maybe it seems like I'm a bit overly heavily caveating this, but activity in the pathway doesn't always equal activity, like end synthesis. So just to be like 100% transparent, they've measured activity in an upstream pathway called mTOR. And they found that that was more strong with ketone esters added in. Um, to clarify the glycogen results, so we have one study that showed improved resynthesis, one study that didn't show any effect. So it's kind of like one for one. I would say that I think that the methodology of the study that showed a positive effect was quite what we'd call supra-physiological. So above kind of setting that you probably see in like everyday life. So we were, we the royal we were infusing ketones direct uh, no sorry infusing glucose directly into the bloodstream and giving ketones as whereas the second study had glucose and carbs in a drink so i guess it what it suggests is that you really need to have lots of, of carbohydrate to get more glycogen synthesis with, with ketones i mean yeah. yeah and then i guess some people would say that you know with optimal carbohydrate fueling you're going to get there in the end anyway so it's like it depends how much time you've got to recover back to back but i really do think that the muscle the, protein result is the, I think that's real because we also see if you take ketones before you exercise then you actually have fewer branched chain amino acids free within the muscle so it indicates that you're actually breaking down less protein during exercise then also boosting the pathways associated with resynthesis after exercise so that's certainly interesting and then I think the reason that a lot of our athletes and teams use ketones for recovery is this inflammation piece and hopefully they'll be and we're we're actively looking at this ourselves. Hopefully there'll be more research there as well because ketones can dampen down that kind of inflammatory response that might make you sore or make you fatigued. Right. Um, so I think that that's probably a bigger component than we can say from the data right yeah. now. But let's keep an eye out for that. I think yeah. that that's going to be a big area for future evidence emerging. Yeah. And I think one thing to additionally add was that ketone esters 
when you use it as a prefuel, actually spare glycogen and spare yeah. and reduce the damage of muscle protein breakdown. Yeah. So while not necessarily directly related to recovery in this case here, but if you have ketone esters before intense exercise, you're going to just be less damaged yeah. or less depleted so you can therefore recover faster. I guess if you're going to be doing multiple efforts in a day, and I know like some of my cycling races that will do, will do like a 40-minute race at like 10 a.m. and then another one at like 1 p.m. And so if you're going to be sacking up these back-to-back -back efforts in like fairly quick succession, then not only breaking down less glycogen, but also the chance of like boosting all of these sort of recent processes would be beneficial. Yeah. yeah. Okay, next question. Is the ketone ester helpful for these diseases? For example, Alzheimer's, diabetes. I'm going to start off this answer by saying like, neither Jeff or I or I are clinicians, read and interpret the literature and we need to do more, like we, the royal we again, there needs to be more clinical studies yeah. looking at how ketogenic diet and exogenous ketones can be used for clinical diseases. So at this stage, there's no like massive yeah. drug trial sponsored, you know, pharma grade study that's looked at. Even for the ketogenic diet, a lot of these studies are at like pilot stages. Right. We're not giving medical advice. No. We're not doctors. Consult your doctor and get properly briefed before you take and any of this advice. Don't ever like completely swap out treatment for diet or ketone drinks. Yeah. But that said, there is like a very big body of animal evidence and increasing amounts of evidence from small studies of humans that indicate that the state of ketosis could be beneficial for a number of diseases. So, I mean, you outlined a few there in the question. So first up, say Alzheimer's disease. Well, we know that before you get any symptoms of Alzheimer's disease, your brain glucose metabolism is a a little bit compromised. So the brain starts to get starved of energy. And actually, it's unclear whether that's the chicken or egg problem in the development of the protein misfolding that characterizes Alzheimer's disease. And so a working hypothesis is that if you can re-up the brain's energy using another fuel, in this case, ketones, because it's the only other thing that the brain can use, then you well, might... Well, you can use lactate and other things, but... That's but, true. But, but, oh, but, but, okay, I appreciate you calling me out there. Um, but ketones are dominant. Ketones are, ketones are great, yeah. good fuel. Yeah. So if you can re up the brain's energy using ketones, then you may mitigate some of the downstream problems, or maybe even in some cases reverse. So there's quite a few papers that have used medium chain triglycerides in Alzheimer's disease and have there's some promising results there. There's also one published case study that used the ketone ester that's in HVMN ketone for a six-month single case study of Alzheimer's disease, and there were really positive results there as well. So certainly some good signal that this could be an area to yeah, watch out Yeah, that was the for. Mary Newport paper, mm -hmm. right? So just Published in 2015. So um, just Google Mary Newport Alzheimer's ketone ester. She's a great resource. She's a very big advocate for coconut oil and using ketones to treat Alzheimer's disease. So I'd recommend people looking her up if they're interested to find out more there. Then to move on, you mentioned diabetes. So we know, again, that low-carbohydrate diets can be very helpful for people treating diabetes. Um, for example, we have, have here in San Francisco, Verta Health, not only offering a service, but also publishing the results of people that go through their program, reducing carbohydrate intake and losing lots of weight and managing their hemoglobin A1C, which is a measure of how bad your diabetes is, managing their blood sugars and getting off their medications. So certainly good signal that ketosis is interesting there, but that's because probably mainly because they're reducing the carbohydrate intake in their diet. But that said, it's pretty consistent effect across different types of exogenous ketones that when you raise ketones in the blood, 
then your blood sugar drops in response. And I like to think about this as almost as like most of our bodies have a fairly well-functioning kind of like thermostat where we want to have the right amount of fuel in the blood. So with diabetes, the thermostat's ability to kind of correct for sugar is compromised either through insulin insensitivity or a lack of insulin production. But when you've got ketones, then the body's like, oh, we've got this energy from ketones so we can release less sugar. And we That's really a good think analogy. That, I like that. We really think that the liver releasing sugar at a high level is a big part of the problem in diabetes, not just the consumption of carbohydrate in the diet. And so when you drink ketones, you're kind of telling the liver, hey, you don't need to release quite as much sugar. We've got this energy already in the system from ketones. And so pretty consistently, we see a fairly meaningful drop in blood sugar after people drink ketones. Yeah, I, I mean, we've done this finger stick experiment many, many times on people, and I see... 10, 15, 20% drops. Well, yesterday I mean, we dropped someone from 5.2 millimoles to 3.9 millimoles yeah. in, in just under an hour, right? And, so yeah, it's and, and that's for folks that aren't working in metric, that's around 20, 25 milligrams a deciliter, mm -hmm. which is massive. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. And actually, this is not just what Jeff and I have seen out in the wild, but there's a pub paper published from the University of British Columbia where they gave ketone ester prior to an oral glucose tolerance test, which is where you consume a sugar drink with 75 grams of neat sugar in. So they saw that the area under the curve, so the amount of sugar that appeared in the blood afterwards was lower. So showing that the ketones sort of actually helped to modulate the response to sugar. So we don't look at ketone esters as a straight up kind of swap out for the ketogenic diet because obviously restricting carbohydrate has global effects on the body, but certainly has some interesting implications for blood glucose control. And we're interested to see. And the thing is with diabetes is not only the blood sugar control being an issue, diabetics have higher rates of Alzheimer's disease and heart disease and a number of other things that may be actually positively impacted by ketones. So, I mean, we I think often we focus in on the blood sugar as the problem, but I think these other comorbidities are, are massive also. Yeah. Um, and there's a real potential potential for ketones there. So talked about Alzheimer's, we've talked about diabetes. Um, we're really interested in traumatic brain injury, especially with our work through the military. And again, there's a really good body of animal research there showing that either putting animals on a ketogenic diet beforehand or injecting them with ketones after an injury can maintain brain energy levels and decrease the lesion size, so the sort of damaged area size for animals given an impact injury. So we're really interested to see what we can do to further that research. We're also very interested in potential for ketones in some forms of cancer, not all forms, but Dr. Dom D'Agostino's lab over in Florida has done some work with their ketone ester and looked at tumor size being reduced with ketone ester. And this also, is animal models? This is animal models still. And also potentially go back to what we were talking about in terms of protein and recovery, ketones could spare muscle wasting that often occurs uh, during cancer. It's called cancer cachexia. So that's another area that's really interesting as well. Is there anything that I, you'd like me to talk about that I've already, that I've not talked about? I mean, we've we've had people using it for a number of different, heard of people using it for a number of different things, Parkinson's disease, for example. Or COPD, right? I think, again, like how do the ketones work in the system? I think all the use cases or mechanisms that you describe seem sensible, 
But if there's anything that is a downstream well. effect of an inflammation yeah. like COPD, we've seen anecdotes. We had a conversation with Russell Winwood on a previous podcast, who's a COPD patient, and he sees material expansion in, in his ability to breathe. Well, so with he's, he's done blood work as well, so it changes his inflammatory markers in his blood work. It's CRP. Exactly. C-reactive protein actually goes down. So that goes yeah. down a lot. So there's a published case report. I think it's using a ketone salt and Crohn's disease, and that person had fewer exacerbations as well. We haven't even talked about epilepsy, which is the original reason that the ketogenic diet was developed. Right. So there's a number of different areas. I think I'm glad that you sort of highlighted the infl inflammation story there, and that really is very, very broad. And yeah. there's a number of conditions, even mood disorders, that have a very big neuroinflammatory component. This isn't to do with energy production in the brain. This is yeah. just to do with inflammation in the brain. And again, there's some interesting animal models there. Two or three papers have shown that ketones can reduce neuroinflammation and then affect the behavior of the animals yeah. in these models. And that reminds well. me of one of my favorite peptides, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Uh -huh. And there's been some early work showing that exercise-induced ketosis elevates BDNF. And, and in that paper, they, they inject ketones as well. So they're, okay. they're, as one part of that, it's a really nice series of experiments. Okay. But So they, they start off with exercise and um, then they move on to injection, injection of ketones as well. And they So direct injection of ketones. Directly. BDNF, yeah. Okay. So BDNF, for those of you at home, it's brain-derived neurotrophic factor, and it's really important for maintaining brain health and formation of connections between neurons and neurogenesis. Yeah, yeah valuable from a nootropic perspective, but also potentially useful from a therapeutic perspective with well, folks. perturbed in like um, various like Neurological conditions, yeah. I mean, Lots of areas that we're interested in, but to go back to the caveat at the start, a lot of these things are very, very early stage and really need some good quality small trials move into bigger trials before we can definitively yeah, a lot say. of work to be done before any actual claims can be made but i think talking about the research and highlighting research streams is always helpful to mm -hmm. encourage discussion and analysis here cool next question why does hvmn ketone taste like it does and what can we mix it with to make it taste better yeah, I don't think it tastes that bad. So I can sip on it and sip on it like a fine whiskey. I mean, it's, it's definitely not a soft drink. But to answer the question a little bit more seriously, it's definitely a bitter drink. It's bitter because of the ester bond in the ketone ester. So as Brie was describing in an earlier question, earlier answer, there's an ester bond connecting the ketone BHB with butane dial. And a lot of the most fragrant, flavorful chemicals, like fruit flavors, vegetable flavors, they're all esters. So this particular ester is just a very potent, bitter flavor. So it's not because there's weird additives or weird processing mechanism. It's literally the form of the ester molecule structure that is causing the taste. But I don't think it tastes too bad. I think that there's probably an adaptation kind of process towards it where you just get more used to drinking ketone esters. But a lot of people also start mixing it with things. And I've personally experimented quite a bit. And I know a lot of people in our community have experimented with HVMN ketone with different drinks and different concoctions. I was just talking to Amy yesterday and she was saying that mixing with sparkling water like LaCroix, it tastes really good. I've mixed it with matcha green tea or cold brew coffee with a little bit of milk and that seems to mellow out a lot of the bitterness or that bitterness is merged with the coffee bitterness. So it's no longer surprising. I haven't really mixed it with fruit juices. That could be an interesting experiment if people I know have people tried that it. I have done that. That'd be interesting to hear the feedback there. 
Have you played around with mixing around? I tend to just shot it before yeah. I go out on my you're, long you're, runs. You're utilitarian. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mind if it doesn't taste good. It's yeah. it's, and it tastes an awful lot better than it used to. So I would say, hey, it tastes like it works. I don't think it tastes that bad. People that have written about it or blogged about it, come on. This is some really cool technology. It works. Handle the bitterness for a few seconds. And we're working on it. And we're working on it. Okay, next question. Why not just eat more carbs as a fuel source instead of adding a ketone ester? What's the difference here? What's the specialness? There's 120 calories in ketone ester. Why not you just eat another 120 calories of glucose? Well, I guess like really the headline here is it's probably not practical or possible for athletes to consume optimal carbohydrate. Like even the most elite athletes, so let's look at Elliot Kipchoge recently in Berlin. He was refeeding every bottle station and that's probably as close as it gets in terms of like drip feeding the body carbohydrate to ensure like a steady, optimal delivery, like consistently the whole time to power exercise. Most of us out there in the real world don't do that. We'll like have something to eat before we go out or we'll have like a goo pack every hour or we'll forget or whatever, you know, like, so there's problems in terms of like maintaining a constant carbohydrate delivery. It's just, it's not practical to just be like, oh, well, it's, you know, just eat 120 more calories of carbs. Not only because of the practical reasons, but also quite a lot of people have GI issues with high amounts of carbohydrates. So it's very difficult when working on new technologies, but it's not super straightforward just with what's available to get more carbohydrates into your body through the gut. There's different types of glucose uptake or carbohydrate uptake transporters in the gut, and they get saturated at certain concentrations. And past that concentration, anything that you put in is just going to sit in your gut. And if it sits in your gut, then it can cause water to flow back into your gut, and then that can cause issues. So um, it's difficult to overload on carbohydrate in a way that isn't net bad for you. So in that kind of setting, adding ketones is a good way to get extra energy into the body that's not going in through any of the same pathways. It's a complementary pathway. If you then add ketones in on top of like optimal or near optimal carbohydrates, then if you're staging in this, if you're not able to refuel every, you know, 20 minutes like Kipchoge, every while you've got the ketones present in your blood, your body will burn the ketones in preference to the carbohydrates. So it's almost like a hybrid car. Uh, though, you know, at some intensities, it's able to burn the electricity and then it switches seamlessly to gas. So with the ketone, when it's there and it's present, you'll burn the ketone. And then as that runs out, you've got carbohydrates left over that were spared by the ketones being present to just sort of transition into burning that. So it really helps with partitioning out the available resources over this kind of like long duration activity. That's probably the neatest way to describe it. I don't know if you have anything else to add in there. I mean, I think maybe also say that like ketones themselves being a very oxygen efficient fuel source. Right. So it's going to max you know, do good things for your efficiency in theory while while you're exercising and reducing lactate levels as well. All of these things are going to help you get through, so long as you can continue working at the same output. So I think a lot of people wonder about if ketones, you know, why if you want to be doing glycolysis, so burning carbs rather than burning ketones. But from everything that we've seen so far, the work output itself is never compromised. It's always the same or maybe even a little better the yeah. longer that the event gets. So I kind of like look at it as a tap. And if you're going to be flowing like 100 units of water through the tap, so long as the tap can continue flowing at 100 units per minute, then that's great. And you Whether have a little side tap yeah, of you ketones. Have, you, you take 20 yeah. units of that off. You're not completely shutting off carbohydrate right. burning. Ketones are accounting for like about 14%. Your fuel oxidation at, around, at, at an intensity of about 70%. So I just would say from everything that we've seen, 
seen and like it would be interesting to see more very basic mechanistic science studies done to look at how all of these fuels interact but from what we've seen it's like the higher the intensity you go you can still burn carbohydrates and having ketones has sort of spared the carbohydrates for later on i mean it's a completely novel physiological state yeah not having ketones present and ample carbohydrates, and also not having undergone keto adaptation or like fat adaptation to the diet to get yourself into ketosis. So some people are like, oh, well, you lose your sprint power when you go keto. But that's because you've, over many, many days, trained your body to burn fat, and you've almost got like gunk in the pipes right. that you burn carbohydrates. So instead of being able to flow 100 units through your tap, you're down at like 80 already before you even, before the outset. Right, but the ketone ester eliminates that But the problem. ketone ester means that your tap capacity is still 100. Right, because you don't need a keto adapt. No, you've still got all of the enzymes and everything that you need to be able to do a high-intensity exercise. So more research should be done here, but it looks like having every single fuel source available to the body is only going to help maximize performance. Yeah, I think one way to unpack this a little bit even further for folks that don't have a physiology background is that when people talk about glucose being you know fat adapted or being running on carbs it's never black or white it's always a mix of fuels and so when you're saying oh you're primarily burning on fat that's like 70 80 percent fat on like the very high end and running on sugar it's it's again like you know 50 40 50 60 70 percent sugar it's not black or white and i think ketones just adds a third fuel source and i think the word the phrase fuel partitioning is a really good phrase it allows your body to partition its fuel mix of fuel more optimally yeah i guess if you think about it as like i don't know you're a ship and you're going to go and sail across an ocean like staging out you're going to eat first thing you're going to eat from your rations is the things that can go bad first and then yeah. you save like the dry biscuit and the stuff that's going to keep for when you've been on the voyage yeah. for like several days so it's like you looking at the resources that are available to your body to complete the work required and then like staging that out over, over yeah. the effort. And then we just give you a third one that yeah. doesn't exist there normally. Yeah, so through you any can... through carb, you can't eat it through carbs, you can't eat it through fat bombs. If you fast to get ketones and you don't have any carbs left. So this is like a novel physiology. So to answer it kind of more succinctly, we just unlock a new physiological state where you have carbs and ketones at high levels at the same time, which doesn't occur in nature. Where if you want to have availability of ketones, well, you got to be in a ketogenic diet or fast it down. We have very, very low glycogen and availability of fat and ketone burning, or the opposite way around. You have a lot, a lot of carbs and very little ketone and fat adaptation going on. Well, I think that was a good answer. I think yeah, yeah. I hope hopefully people will find that useful. Yeah. Um, so the next question, and it's a little similar to one we had earlier, so maybe we can answer this kind of quickly, is yeah. can I use HVM and ketone with a keto diet? So you can use it with any diet. Just to clarify, so in all the athletic studies that were done at Oxford, these were done in athletes that were eating a standard mixed diet and using ketone esters acutely to enhance performance. So to expand the question a little bit, you don't need to be a keto athlete to use ketone esters to get better performance. But how to use it for a keto diet? So I answered this a little bit in terms of this is a really great tool to help you transition into a ketogenic diet or a fasted state. Again, when you start on a normal diet, you have a lot of enzymes more optimized towards glucose 
glucose burning or carb burning. And as you shift into a fat burning state or state of ketosis, a lot of these molecular machinery needs to readapt itself a little bit. So you swap out enzymes, upregulate certain things, downregulate certain things. And in that transition period, your overall energy might be a little bit low. So you might feel a little sluggish, a little tired. Ketone esters, really big infusion of ketones, energy, really, really quickly. And I think one thing that's kind of interesting to note is that I don't think has been studied formally, but sort of anecdotally has been been testing it out on ourselves and, and folks that people that are keto adapted tend to feel subjectively the effects of ketone esters in their head more. And I know we've been talking about this, that we hypothesize that it's because you have increased medium or monocarboxylate transporters, not MCT oils, but these transporters Confusing. that transfer ketones into the cell. So that kind of makes sense. So I'd love to hear if that's consistent with folks out there listening. If you are keto adapted, do you feel the effects of ketone ester more? At the end of the day, if you're on a ketogenic diet, the one thing you don't want to do is to consume carbohydrates to sort of spike your blood glucose and insulin, and that will sort of derail you out of the ketogenic state. If you need like a pick you up of kind of energy that's kind of rapid acting, that's not glucose, then ketones are a good alternative. But, you know, like, again, the caveat, it's not 100% clear in that, as I did say, it sort of temporarily slowed down fat release, like how that will work out. But it's definitely a glucose free, you know, it's keto compliant. 100% keto compliant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What are the weirdest things you've heard people using ketone ester for? Any funny stories? Well, I mean, we've got a big time fan of ours who has um, chronic fatigue, so ME, and she uses it as part of like when she's having tough days and she really finds that the energy and she she's very experimental so she'll use it along with like hyperbaric oxygen and she like sometimes she gets in touch and she's been doing all kinds of crazy like stacks with the ketone ester which I always think is kind of fun yeah. to hear about I mean I guess for me like some of the stories of some of the athletes that use it it's always kind of inspiring like another friend of mine did a 12 hour long endurance race and he averaged like 40 kilometers per hour for 12 hours on a bike, bike. Well, yeah and he used ketones there and he said it was really great you know someone else who did the Leadville 100 like super long running race I think ultra was, marathon yeah, 100 like, miler it's, it's really cool yeah. hearing people use ketones like that yeah I remember someone trying to do like an extended fast with ketone esters like 3 or 5 days just drinking ketone ester that's something I've wanted to do I haven't gotten around to doing that I know someone that uses it for jet lag one of our investors, he always like messages me after he's been traveling and he's like, use the ketone ester, fly over to Europe. And <laughs> but he he also he's like super experimental and he wears like blue blocking glasses for like the week before he flies to get, you know, alter circadian rhythms and then oh, he also wow. use ketone ester. So some fun like biohacks going on there yeah. as well. I think people are also like experimenting with like sleep to see if they use that right before sleep, if that helps them sleep better. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of just different applications. I think another interesting experiment, people have been using it for free dive breath holding. Yeah. That is an interesting use case. So if you have, if you guys have interesting use cases and applications, I'd love to hear them. It's always fun to see how people are using. Sometimes people are like, it worked for me for this. And I'm like, I have no idea how. <laughs> I just can't <laughs> even work this out. It's kind of fun problem to try and unpick. But yeah. I mean, it's definitely a testament to how like, the crazy things that people put their bodies through, but also how like every body is is a little different and definitely a range of experiences yeah. with human ketone. So we got a last couple questions here in this FAQ episode. How is HMN pursuing additional research on our ketone ester? 
you know, I think hopefully people can tell from the tone of this whole episode, there's a lot of questions still to answer. And we're really excited to be kind of custodians of the ketone ester as, as a tool for research. And so we have our own effort that we're working on with the US military. And we're interested in how ketones could help with brain function, um, especially in extreme environments. There is a number of other little studies being run with the military that we're helping to support. Um, really interested to see their and hear the feedback from people testing it in the field. So really proud of those efforts. Um, also just looking to find really, really top quality researchers in the basic science fields and in the clinical fields who are interested, who approach us and they're interested in running case studies or clinical trials with HBMN ketone. So we're working hard to support the research community and lead studies where we can. And hopefully we'll have some exciting announcements related to our research efforts soon. I know that you've been hard at work leading a lot of our efforts here. So I'm excited to see these seeds bloom here. Okay. And I think we're getting to the end now. So nice one to wrap up. What was the hardest thing about bringing ketone esters to market? And what are the current struggles that we're working on here at HVMN HQ? It's been a beast of a project. So I think we've hinted at it throughout the conversation, but we've really stood on top, top of the shoulders of giants. You know, your advisor, your research advisor, Professor Karen Clark at Oxford, Dr. Reach at the NIH, really kicked this off in early 2000s in terms of getting the basic science, the basic synthesis, the basic safety and efficacy data proven out. And my last conversation with Kieran, you know, just taking it through FDA grass took a four years of research and work. So there's just been so many hours and months and years of work with her, the broader team, PhD students, research students that have come through the lab and gone off to do other things. It's been a massive community effort behind bringing a ketone ester from and the concept and idea to a real molecule, to something that's been tested in animals, something that's been tested in humans, that's been something brought through safety standards, something that's brought through efficacy studies, and now something that's commercially available. So I think there's a lot of responsibility for us to, I think you have the right word around it, be proper custodians and responsible custodians and bring this broader to more and more people. I think the current struggle or the excitement is how do we make this more available to everyone? I think it's like the underlining, undergirding principle here. How do we democratize access to what we think could be a fourth macronutrient? And the ways we think about it is, of course, cost, form factors, and palatability. You know, can we make it taste better or in just more interesting form factors? And just like I was hinting at, you know, hopefully announcing additional research results in research streams, hopefully we'll make announcements around cost, form factors, and, and taste soon as well. It's kind of cool to see how much everyone here has got their heads down and working to communicate, educate, and also just make the best kind of products that we can and stay true to kind of the core principles of the company. Yeah. So those are all our questions for today. It's always fun to chat with you, Bree. It's, it's fun. I think these are my, my favorite episodes because we talk about a lot of this stuff offline. I mean, it's fun to expose some of the thinking and and I guess nuance to how we make decisions. It's funny because I feel like sometimes we go to like 90% of the detail that we would go into offline and then sometimes we're going to like par it back and make sure that the folks at home can kind of follow us. It'd be interesting to hear whether whether this is kind of conversation that you like or whether you want whether you want more detail or whether you want us to make sure we keep it simple. Of course, send us additional questions. If we didn't answer your FAQ, we'll be very much more than happy to have 
part two of this FAQ of HUN Ketone. So until then, thanks so much. Bye-bye. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as we did. HVMN Ketone is a product that is close to my heart and this podcast is as well. That's why I'm excited about this special podcast ketone offer. Your continued support makes what we do here possible and I'm more than happy to give back. As a reminder, you get a $50 coupon for a 12-pack of HVMN Ketone by typing in the URL hvmn.com forward slash pod pod. This offer will last until the end of the month. So after November 31st, 2018, this offer will be gone. Supplies will be limited, so get in there. Again, the link is hvmn.com slash pod. The link is also in the show notes. I'll see you all next week. And thank you again for tuning in to the HVMN podcast. 